Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast. I'm Brock, your host. I'm here with Portia Louder. Portia, thank you so much for coming on and, and taking this opportunity to share your strength and hope with us. I know that your life has been riddled with ups and downs. And my wife was actually, she follows you on Facebook. I think she's as excited as I am to have you on here because she was like, you got to get more information from her. So if you don't mind, let's just jump into it. So your life started normal in Utah, kind of like everybody else, raised strong, right? Great values, great morals. And then what happened? Well, in my younger years, I. Um... I would say that by the time I was 12 or 13, I was struggling. Started getting involved with, didn't really start drinking probably until I was 14 or 15, but just struggling with authority really. And my younger years were rough. I ended up pregnant and getting married and divorced. By the time I was 21, I was a single mom with two children. And I, my parents were living in Sandy, Utah at the time. And I lived with my parents. And I think something inside me knew that the path I was on was contrary to what was right as far as my upbringing and just what I believed I was capable of doing. But until I got really addicted to drugs, I didn't reach a point where I was willing to make a change. And so in my early 20s, I started using prescription drugs. And at first, I remember I remember the first time I took a pill and it was like, you know, it just filled that emptiness that I felt inside. I had used prescription drugs just for like a migraine headache and never abused them. And then I went through a, I guess you could say a traumatic experience, one of many. And when I got home, I took the pill and it made me feel better. And I thought, I'm just going to keep doing this. And I stayed on that path for several years. And then I ended up using street drugs and things just got worse and worse for me. I came home late one night and my son, who was about nine years old, was staring out the window in my parents' home with my mom waiting for me to come home. And my mom said, when I walked in the house, she said, you know, he's been waiting for you all night. You're what he wants. Is there nothing? I can't imagine what in life could be more important than this. And it wasn't, my mom wasn't mad at me. She really looked at me as though I just don't have hope for you anymore. If this isn't enough, I've sat here all night with him. And that night, my heart broke. I really felt something inside me break. And I just, I carried my son downstairs and I just laid on the floor and I sobbed. And I reached out to a God that I felt very unconnected to and just said, if you're there, please help me. I can't do this anymore. I'm tired. I don't care if I'm happy ever again. I just don't want to hurt the people I love. And I was fortunate. I lived in a community of people who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I wasn't active in the church, but there was a bishop who was a religious counselor that lived across the street, and I asked for help. And he got me involved in the AA program, which was a life changer for me. I I mean, the first time I went to AA, there was a man in the front of the room that shared his story, and he had two years clean. I mean, he shared everything that I went through, the thoughts that I had, the way I acted, the horrible things that I'd done to my kids, and I thought, how is he standing up there all lit up with, you know, sobriety? He was just full of light. And I went up after the meeting. I said, please, what are you doing? I need help. And he handed me the big book. And he said, you know, even though I wasn't an alcoholic, that was just 
I just needed to get into a support group meeting. And he said, read this book and work these steps and your life will change. Wow, I like that, huh? So did you get a sponsor? Because I know it's hard just to take that book and go through it. Did you have a sponsor? Did you have a guide? I had a bishop. And I mean, I recommend a sponsor. But the other thing that happened was because I wasn't active in the church, you know, addiction is just such an isolator. I mean, I was so disconnected from everybody. And so the bishop also recommended that I go to these 12-step support group meetings that the LDS church was offered. And there were not very many of us back then, but it was early on, like this is 20 years ago, you know, and the gentleman that was in the room, he wrote a hardly, he was the one that ran the meeting, you know, and he welcomed me in and he said, we need you here. He's like, so we're going to have you start. And and they kind of supported me. It was like me and a couple of other guys. And I think a, a female would come in and go, come in and out. And then it was just slow. And I kept going to the AA meetings and I just kind of got this group sponsorship. I don't know that I worked the steps as well as I could have. I know that I didn't because when I went to prison, that's when I like hit it so hard and it changed my life. I got some sobriety and my life changed. It got better. My husband, uh, I met my husband, Chad. He ended up raising the two children that I had as his own. And we we were married. We bought a little house. I started a business Cause you know what happens when you're sober, like it's miraculous. Everything gets better when you're clean. And that's what happened for me. And I was grateful because I had been in some pretty dark places. And so every day I just woke up grateful that I was sober and that I could look myself in the mirror. And I was there, like I was taking my kids to school. I was doing the mom things that I felt so bad that I hadn't done, but relapse happened to me. And, uh, you know, how long were you clean? How long were you years? Yeah. So I had some clean time. Okay. I, you're running a business, mm-hmm. a substantially lucrative business. You, you, you guys are doing well. Right. What, uh, what was that switch? How did, how did you go from knowing your past and being in some dark places and the way that our moral compass just gets bent, you know, when you're in active addiction, which is crazy. But right. then, so you're, you're on this great path. And then how did you, what was the bumps? Well, for me, it was my business. I often say that I was just too blessed. Like my business grew literally my first year, I think I did 15 to 20. I was a wedding photographer. So I was doing, you know, 15, 20 weddings that year, my first year. Then I went from that to like 75. And then we're talking 150, 200 weddings. It just went boom, boom, boom. And at the same time, I decided, okay, I got to build a house so that I can put a studio in it because like I had filled up that house with negatives and was trying to take pictures and meet with people. I had these two children that were older and I ended up, you know, I, Chad and I started our family as well. So I got pregnant and my pregnancy was pretty rough. So I'm still working. My husband's working. I've got two older kids and meetings just became too much. Like I'm working literally, I'm getting up at five and I'm doing all the editing that I need to do. I have employees and I'm super sick through the pregnancy. And then right after I had Jackson, I had my back went out to where I couldn't even lift, carry him. So I went in and they said, we need to do like an emergency back surgery. We need to go in and take care of this because it's been a problem. But if we don't get it, you're it's not going to get better. So I had the back surgery, used the pain pills, tried to kind of wean myself off, started going back to meetings, knew I had a problem, right? Like I'm, I know, but I'm like in the justification place. And then I'm thinking, yeah, but when I quit last time I was into street drugs. I mean, my life's so much better now. Like this, these are prescribed. And I mean, honestly, there's so many housewives that I know that think that, and it's so sad because I'm like, 
suck. You know, it really does disconnect you from people, even if it's, I mean, you just have to be so careful. Like now my superpower is sobriety and I won't use anything. But I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this like uh massive storm coming in. Oh, I can see you. You know what I mean? Like that's so, that's the best analogy I've ever heard. <laughs> because I, you, you had sobriety. Then I hear you stop going to meetings. Right, right, right. You become too busy. You're right. making phenomenal money. Right. You're building right. a house. You're pregnant. Your back goes out. Perfect storm. Brock, the storm just like you could call this like the storm of all storms. Because so right after I found, right after I had uh, Jackson, we're in the process of building a house. I am running a business. I have had back surgery. So I'm dabbling in the pain pills. And then I find out I'm pregnant again. And that was so unplanned. Dabbling? Were you dabbling in the pain pills or were you? I was pretty hardcore. Well, not as much as I became later. The reason I, I was using the pain pills, but at that point I was able to kind of step, I quit because I was pregnant, right? You know, not that I think you always can because you can't. been around people and I personally had experiences where it's like, it's too big. It's too much. I can't, doesn't matter if I'm pregnant or what the situation it's, I'm going to the death with this. Yeah, but oh, that, man. you know, it just, that's what it was. In fact, when I went to prison, that's how I felt. I, you know, there's no way I'm getting sober. It's you had already detoxed. So you knew how bad it was going to be. I was terrified throughout my, as soon as I had our second baby, my business was crazy. We moved into our new house in Highland. I went right back to the pain pills. I had neighbors that were building spec homes. And my solution in my mind was, I'm just going to build a spec home. I'm working, you know, all these hours to make this kind of money. I can do it, bam, like that. And I was terrified of detox. I mean, terrified. Like I was calling every joint trying to find, is there Suboxone? Is there this? Is there that? Because I had suffered, you know, once you've suffered like that. Suffer. Oh, but Brock, the suffering got way worse down the road. Like all I did was keep it. I just kept it at bay and it built like a monster for me. When I finally did detox, I swear to you, there are not words to describe that suffering. You know. It's and just- that keeps you from de- relapsing today, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, it totally doesn't. Yeah. So so I guess, I mean, in the end, I ended up detoxing in a county jail. They stripped me, left me in a room for 10 days, and I completely lost my sanity. But guess what? That will never happen again. And I have so much compassion. Like when I walk in on a girl, because I work at a treatment center. So when I walk in and a girl's detoxing, I am on the floor with her and I am praying. And I am like wrapped around her going, God bless this child. (laughs) Because you know. You know? (laughs) It's so bad. It's like, I can't even, the suffering that a human can go through and continue to live. But Portia, that's why people don't, that's why people are so afraid to detox. So when they look at you and they hear this, they can do it. You can live. You will live. And I mean, it truly is so miraculous how everything comes back and then some. Like you can come from places that I, I mean, it's a miracle. Like sobriety is so beautiful and so amazing. And when I'm sitting there, you know, I facilitate meetings at the treatment center and I'm just like, I just want to put my arms around you when you walk in. And I want to share with you how good your life will get. Like a year from now, you make a list today of everything you want and you will get so much more joy and happiness. You know, yeah. it just, it's 
beautiful. So your business is going, you move into your house, you're, you're still dabbling. I'm going to use your words in pain pills. <laughs> no, I'm full on hardcore now. Like yeah. I've, gone, I've fallen off, you know, and it's, So where were you getting it? Your do- I mean, you were using too much. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not hard because I had back surgery, right? And I swear, like you can go to any doctor and get a script for Adderall. Oh, I'm ADHD, pain pills. I'm this, I'm that. But, you know, on top of that, like, I think this was back when you could order them online and half the people I knew in real estate were kicking them my way. And it was just, it was yucky. It was a really dark time, but it happened, you know? So I guess it's something that you just, you talk about and move past. I mean, it's something that I can, when I go to the treatment center, I can look at the girls and just say, I've been there. Let's talk about it. <laughs> okay. So, so g- give me the next step because I'm excited. I'm hearing this. Well, the next step isn't pretty because this girl makes some poor decisions, despite the fact that like something inside me said, don't go there. I mean, at first I'm flipping lots, right? And I'm popping pills, but then the pressure, the pressure of kids, the pressure of a business, the pressure of now I've added real estate to the mix. And so I'm taking more pills and more pills. And eventually I got involved in real estate deals where I was buying and selling houses that were being appraised for more than they were worth. So people could pull equity out of the homes. So I'm in the middle of a lot of these deals, right? And you and, knew it was wrong. You knew it was. Yeah. Your heart tells you like, did I think it was illegal? No, because I mean, they have billboards all over talking about it. I mean, it was just a weird time. Banks, you know, we'd send over the appraisal and the value to a bank and say, hey, take a look at this. This is what we're paying for. We're paying a million. We have an appraisal for two. How much will you lend? And they'd say, we'll lend one five or one eight or whatever. Mostly they would lend more than our appraisal. You know, when the government came in and said, you're defrauding banks, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like the banks are so in on it. But none of that mattered because at the end of the day, like you just said, my heart, my spirit, my soul knew I was walking in not good territory. I'm using drugs and I had fallen off and it took, it took me, I mean, I'm so stubborn that I, you know, and then the other thing is, is I'm chasing, you know, the last thing I want to do is detox. So I'm terrified to detox. I'm making bad choices. I'm, I got into debt pretty heavy and, and then I just kept on rolling and the FBI shows up, you know, they do that when you're That's a like, big jump. That's a big jump. And the FBI shows up. So were well, you on any other drugs or were you just keeping it with the pain pills. Well, I'm using a lot of pain pills. It was later on that I started, you know, using, uh, other things too, benzos, uh, and Adderall, that type of stuff. But at that point, it's just actually, I believe what I had done is I had gone and got a prescription for Suboxone thinking, you know, I don't want to suck it up and just completely detox. I'll just use Suboxone. By the way, I think I have such a really bad, I don't like Suboxone because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> detox almost killed me. So, I mean, I don't recommend it. I just think hundred percent sober is the way to go, but it's for me, right? He's my superpower now. I don't use anything, but back in the day, I was looking for an easy way out. So I went to Suboxone. And you were thinking, and- I'm going to taper it down. Oh yeah. 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 Right. Oh, no. and then I just started using Suboxone and I got to where my tolerance was just really high. I could use everything. I could use mm. the, you know, opiates with the Suboxone. I could use- and I was just cocktailing weight just honestly it's a miracle i lived because i was using a lot so so does your husband under does he know what's going on does anybody reach it out saying hey, Portia, what's up my husband i mean interesting because there were a lot of people that that used in the industry that would say you i don't you keep it together like i don't know how you know right i keep it together but the fbi shows up it's a pretty good sign that i don't have it together but <laughs> 
but I mean, that's what they were saying. And so it's like, well, you're not nodding off. You're not. Anyway, my husband, we went through a spell where he just was really frustrated with the whole situation and he felt powerless. He was staying home with the kids at the time. We both had to kind of own our part in all of this, but it was just frustrating for him because I was in deep and there was not a lot he could do. And he just felt like I just have to trust her. And he'd say, how are you doing with drugs? And I would say, fine, I have plenty. Like it was just. <laughs> so he knew, he knew. He knew. Yeah. Yeah, he totally knew. But I think because, I don't know. I don't know. He says I'm scary, so it's too hard to like confront me. <laughs> so the FBI shows up at your house. Right? Not a good thing to have happen. No? What happens? I wish I could say that my heart broke right then and I took a look in the mirror and said, hey, Portia, you're on the wrong road. Own your part. Like, get real with yourself. But that isn't what happened. I was stubborn. I was, I fought it. I pointed out all the reasons why they weren't going after other people. And I told them they should take a lie detector test because I thought they were dishonest. Yeah, I went so well. <laughs> yeah, I think those two agents have no love for me. And I ended up getting the maximum sentence that I could get because I didn't. I mean, looking back is it just I look at it and I think if I could have just found some moral high ground, I could have if I could have just said I did this, there would have been power in my life. I am responsible for this. But instead, so wait, I, what are they trying to get you to? What What is this? They wanted me to own that I had misrepresented things to banks. I mean, that's okay. what they charged me with mortgage fraud. Like basically that I had bought and sold houses and made misrepresentations to banks. Right. But I'm going to be honest. I think my biggest fear was detoxing. So I just kept being stupid when I could have just owned it and said, I mean, there was going to be prison time involved. And that was really hard for me, too, because I just I had another baby. Yeah. Five kids. And when the little one, the FBI showed up literally when I had, I was standing on the porch with a three month old baby and I'm looking at him thinking, what are you thinking? This is not happening. You need to go away. Like I'm thinking there's no way I'm leaving my little girl and going to prison. And I didn't go until she was seven years old. I mean, that's how long that thing drug out, right? It took them that long to investigate it. Okay. So they investigated, they indicted me in 2010. I finally pled and went to, and I didn't even plead until they put me in a, a cell and detoxed me and almost killed me. And then I said, oh, okay, you know, it was kind oh, of man. dirty pool on their part, but I, I finally said, cried uncle. And then I pled and then I got the mat. I, I pled on a zero to seven years and I got seven, seven so, years. And that's when my heart broke. That was the day. I mean, you've had a little bit of experience with the, the justice system, but when you walk into a, when you walk into a court, in all seriousness. And you stand there and they say the United States of America versus Portia Lauder. And you think, what kind of a person am I? You know, you feel a little bit, it's probably not a very fair fight. Like now it's me against the United States. But on top of that, I look back at my family and I felt so much sorrow because I had made these choices. And then, and then in addition, I had made the choice to stay using and I had made the choice to not take ownership of my life. And I had drug us down this path and it was a feeling of such sorrow. And I just, it was a reality, a wake up call for me and a loneliness I can't describe. My heart broke that day. That was the day. So talk to me really, let's back up just a little bit. FBI shows up at your house. The time before you were sentenced, were you still using? Yeah. Because you hadn't hit rock bottom yet. Okay, well, so they locked, so I, it's a long story. I'm writing a book about it, but it's a long story. Um, bottom line is I was at the, they called my lawyer two weeks before I was scheduled to go to trial. So I had, and I was using, and they knew I was using. I was 
using Suboxone or whatever else, but I, I mean, I, my prescriptions were all being reported to the judge. So at that point, they said, you need to plead guilty or we're going to lock her up. We're going to revoke her pretrial release. I had not been locked up yet. I just went to the camp, the federal courthouse and I put my fingerprints and they indicted me. So I got mad. I said, tell them that to just leave me alone, let me have my day in court. And my lawyer said, that's not how it's going to go at this point. There's reasons, but they, you need to make a deal. And so the next day they, they called me up to the federal courthouse. And that day, um, I don't know if you probably don't remember this, but the U.S. Marshal shot a guy um, who was in the courtroom next to ours. It was on the news. And my situation was that I walked out with the paramedics. My husband got locked down in the courthouse. So we have two U.S. Marshals that run in front of us. The judge is about ready to revoke my, tre- my pretrial release. She says, let's clear the courtroom. I walk out and the news comes up and asks me what happened. And I say, well, my understanding is that this man was shot because he had a pencil in his hand and they thought it was a weapon or something. Well, that made everybody so unhappy. Like my lawyer called me and she's like, how could you do that? How could you stand out there when you're facing trial right now? And you like the, they wanted to investigate that. And I said, well, I'm mad. They're mad. We're all mad. Well, the next day they called me up and they locked me up and they detoxed me. Federal U.S. prosecutor uh, set an, a court hearing with the magistrate judge, and the magistrate judge was happy to oblige, and they locked me up. You know, it was the same magistrate judge that was there that there that day that the shooting happened. So everybody was no nonsense about it, and they they were just like, "Really, you're going to jail?" So how long were you locked up this, uh, well, for the detox? Well, I was only there for a week, and then I got out. But I had a mental breakdown, like I was too sick, which I kind of knew would happen with the detox as long Ooh, as I Let's not- talk real quick, Portia. How, tell me just like, what was your detox like? You were alone in a cell, you were stripped naked, you said, and you were there. Yeah. So I'm going to do my best as quickly as I can to tell you, I spent a week in Davis County Jail and I don't have real good memories of that because I checked out. Like I was suffering. They took me to a medical unit. I remember parts of it. I was having a hard time. When I got out, I was still scheduled for trial. And when I went to meet with my lawyers, I couldn't speak. Like I was so messed up. I couldn't speak. They scheduled an emergency hearing and they put me back in jail for a mental evaluation. But this time they asked me questions. And when I couldn't answer, they stripped my clothes and stuck me in a cell. So I spent a week in jail detoxing, came home for two days, was put back in jail for three and a half months. And based on the detox, how awful it was, um, then they said that they wanted, I mean, I, I went and had a mental evaluation. They said, you're fine other than you have a drug addiction and that you were detoxed in not the best way. And then when I went back to the courthouse, the judge said, I'm not letting her out because I think she's crazy. They Not crazy, but he's like, she needs to be on schizophrenia medication. And I'm like, and that's when I said, just tell them I'll plead guilty. Just let me go home. You know, I had suffered enough. My mind was not okay. I mean, mentally, I had really broken down. I had suffered. I suffered so much. I, I remember I couldn't, I kept looking at my hands and thinking, I think my name is Portia. I don't know anymore. Like I was so, the pain and suffering that I felt when they had me in that cell without clothes, I tried to climb into a mattress. I ripped it apart and tried to climb in it. My body hurt. My mind hurt. I heard things. I saw things. That kind of a detox is something that nobody wants to ever experience. And I never wished yeah. I, I've told my husband, it would, I will die before I'll use drugs again. Like that's how serious I am about it. I have no, I will, I made that very clear to my father in heaven. I'm like, you can take me from this earth, but I, 
whatever you have to do, if I have to go back and do 10 more years before I ever use another pill, that's fine. But I'm never going to take drugs again. Good. So, yeah. So, so you get sentenced. Uh-huh. You're in prison for the maximum time of seven years. At least you automatically had seven years of sobriety. Yeah, that's true. Um, I did get some things. I got uh, awarded the drug program. And in the federal system, they give you a year off for that. I got good time. It was the most life-changing, beautiful, hard, impossible, crazy experience that I would never change. You know, going to prison was a complete identity crisis. I mean, you lose everything that you think you are. I'm not a photographer. I mean, I, I'm a photographer in the free world, but now, you know, most of the titles that you have, if not all, are stripped. The beauty of that is you come to figure out who you really are, like what really matters. You know, my my value and worth as a person is not based anymore on any accomplishment or title or any of that. It's a freeing experience. Um, it took me two years to really come to own my part in all of it. I was so tired of feeling like a victim. I had an experience with a woman that um, came into the treatment program I was in. We were both getting that year off. And she tried to kill herself right away. And they took her back to a suicide cell. And when they brought her back out, she had, she sat quietly in the back of the room. And then she stood up one day and she had made a list of everything she'd ever done to anyone to hurt. And it was so extensive and it was so courageous of her that you literally, there were 70, 70 of us in the room and we felt this power come into the room and we were all just speechless. Like the, the counselor even said, I am so impressed. And she said, why would you just do that? I mean, it's hard to stand in front to tell one person what you've done wrong, but she listed it out. And they were things like you would never want to admit to. And she said, because this is my last chance. She said, I have tried everything and I'm either going to die or I'm going to tell the truth and it's going to work. And I realized wow. then, you know. That the only way for me to be free was to 100% own and take accountability of the choices I had made, 100%. Mm. And so that was, you know, life-changing for me to experience that. And I guess I just met women who had suffered much greater than me and who were strong and brave. And we together worked to change our lives. And it wasn't easy. You know, just choosing to change your life doesn't mean it's going to be easy. I had a lot of repairing to do with my kids. My kids had that chip on their shoulder, like the government did my mom dirty. And I had to say, no, mom did this. This was me. You know, you guys need to tell me how I hurt you, not the government. And so you know, after you heard her do that, is that kind of did that start your amends process? That started. I made a spreadsheet after that happened. I made a spreadsheet that was a complete list of everything I had done in categories from the time I was four years old. I was like, I got time. I'm in prison. I'm leaving yeah. free. I'm leaving free. And I said, let's anyone that else that wants to join me, let's go to the rec yard. And we had a meeting and we shared everything and we buried it there. And I left free. And that was wow. beautiful. Now the next step was reaching out to all my kids, my husband, anyone I had hurt. And I said, I need you to tell me what I did. I need to make this right. How can I? And I had to listen to how I hurt them. And it sucked. It was hard. But, you know, that's still an ongoing thing. I mean, my kids were without their mom. Their mom was using drugs. I hurt my family. I hurt other people. I was a bad example. I hurt my community. Like all of those things, I now am living 
sober and doing my best to make right. And it's one of the motivators for me to reach out and to tell my story. Cause it's like anybody, you know, and I get people that are, I write letters to people that are in prison when I have family members, anything I can do to make amends. I, I want to do cause it's, it's beautiful, you know? So, so that part that moved me, I, I'm getting a little emotional. Cause when you talk about the ownership part, that is so big in recovering. I think for a lot of us, the detox and the ownership are the two hardest parts that we're going yeah. through because we don't want to admit that we're wrong, that we hurt our families, we hurt each other. And so tell me this, because I know we shared this earlier. I have a sister that's uh, in prison and, you know, it's hard. And I, I know the emotions that you go on, go through inside. Like I read one of your blogs and you talked about when your kids and your husband came the first time to visit you. And I remember the first time I brought my kids to visit my sister and it was the hard, one of the hardest events they went through. Yeah. You know, I mean, the visit was phenomenal. Yeah. I remember my sister was clinging to the glass, just watching us leave. And my kids kept looking back and said, why can't she come with us? And, you know, you have to have that process. And so there's a lot of growing. There's a lot of grittiness to what you went through to, to look at you today and say you were impacting people through a traumatic experience. You know, I feel like um, that I was so blessed. You know, I just feel like I was really blessed. Um, it, there, it was hard. There were times that I thought I never gave up. That's one thing about me. I mean, if, I think if I wanted, if there was one thing I wanted my headstone, it's that she never gave up because I think if we can just never give up, we just keep going. But there were times that it was hard, hard. I sat out under a tree and I think I sobbed for about six months and anyone that even showed up, I just, I just cried and I poured my heart out to my kids and I, you know, it was a process. I am grateful that I got the time to do that, but I would never, you know, <laughs> I don't know that that's for everybody else. I mean, it's just what happened for me. I guess what I did is I made a lot of really bad decisions. And in the end, when I hit a wall, I finally said, now what can I do to climb out? And if I have a skill, it's climbing out of, you know, a deep hole. And I guess it's a good skill Escaping. to have an attic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I go, I don't know that I have many others, but I will say that it was hard. My kids, I think, are amazing. I mean, I just went to dinner with my son, who's just turning 20, and he said, Mom, it was so hard. Like We lived in a really affluent community, and he didn't know anyone else's parents that were in prison. And he kind of got that chip on his shoulder and went through his, you know, it was tough. He's like, and we went from having a lot of money to nothing overnight. It's been the best thing because he has gone out, got a beater car, had two jobs, waiting tables. And now that kid is 20 years old and he's making a great income and working and looking to build a business and reading and studying, mm. which, you know, I would have provided everything for my kids if I could have, but I couldn't. And we just lost everything. And Let me ask you this question. When I read your story, I think about your husband. Yeah. Amazing. This dude, I've never met him. I hope someday <laughs> I do, but my man is amazing. Yeah. So he knew what was going on. He, I mean, I'm, I know he has to take some ownership as well. Yeah. I get that. He easily could have walked. Oh, you know? Yeah. Chad is a rock star. I mean, he's a rock is what he is. Like, he's just a rock. He's just one of those people. And he's, he's just a good man. Like he really has such, he loves people. Like he doesn't see, you know, he's humble. He loves me. He loves our kids and he believes in people. And he's, he's the kind of guy that likes the, I mean, he, he would help any, 
you know, he just cares. He care. He's genuinely caring. I mean, I know I did something right in, in this world, or maybe we haven't seen yet what I'm capable of. I don't know, but somehow, some way, I deserved him because. I mean, it's, I still haven't earned that yet. I keep telling him I'm the investment that's going to pay off some, but he's a good man. And our relationship grew so much through those, that struggle. I mean, my personal feeling is, is that we were blessed from power with power from God. Like, I feel like our marriage, because of the covenants and promises that we made to each other, that there was a bond that kept us together. And I think we have grown so much in ways we never could have. I'm just, I love him. And I'm super grateful for where we're at today. We don't have anything money-wise, but I don't even care about any of that, you know? I'm happy. Just give him knuckles for me when you would just say, hey, Brock, you know, he, <laughs> I, I appreciate, you know, I do. I appreciate that because you know how it is running and working in a recovery program. You see so much oh, dysfunction and you just, yeah. I mean, it's obvious that he had a different vision in you. So a takeaway, when I when I read your story, I loved what you said about the sisterhood and the brotherhood that you you developed in prison. You know, a lot of people have this stigma. Everybody in prison's a, a criminal and yeah. we get that. But what, but but there's there's that redemption. There's that oh, yeah. that change. So if you wouldn't mind, could you end on that and talk to me about it? Some of the most amazing women that I've ever met, my dear friends and people that I'm honored to know have served, have served prison time or are still currently serving prison time. I met women who came from nothing, who had rough upbringings, difficult, difficult lives, and who, who did beautiful things in prison, changed their life, changed my life. It is so, it's a hidden world that people don't really understand and know. We, we help each other out. I mean, out here, you know, you're not connected to your neighbors like you are when you like sleep right next to them, right? You know, <laughs> you really get to know people and what they're going through. And I had so much support and I have so much love for those women. I told you I'm writing a book right now and it is my goal to to share those stories. I mean, it really is. And for people to understand and know what I came to know, completely different than this hardcore garbage that you see on TV. It's not like that. The men that I met in the halfway house, like, they're, so, they, they're hard workers. They're solid. Yeah, they've made some mistakes. Haven't we all, you know, but they keep going. I mean, that's the thing that I do like about prison. It's like, it's not, it's just hard, but you grow when things are hard. And yeah, there's people that are stuck in the lifestyle that are, you know, all hard and tough or whatever. But for the most part, it was more people who, who just loved and supported each other and got through it together. If a sister was struggling, man, it's like, let's round some stuff up. You know, if someone lost a family member, let's, let's go over there and talk to her. Let's send her cards. What can we do to help each other out? It, it was really cool. So yeah, you um, rallied, you rallied yeah, around. That's right. Yeah. yeah I love did. that. I love well, it about well. the recovery. I love it in prison because it's really not our perfection that unites us. It's our struggles that unite us. And, you know, mm. when we get open and honest and say, Hey man, I need your help. I'm alone. I, I'm feeling it right now. We can do so much to buoy each other up and we can make it. We really can, you know? So Portia, what are you doing today to promote recovery? Well, I work at a treatment center, right? So, I mean, they don't pay me top dollar or anything, but I go there. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> we got to get you up to that top dollar. Okay. I'm not trying. I um, I also write, right? I, I write my experience. I share them on my blog. I write them on Facebook. Anyone that asks, um, anyone that like, I think is, you know, that I have something in common with, I'll do a podcast and share my experiences. I've done some speaking in church and I just try to make a difference. I just had a call while we were sitting here of someone that I'm 
going to probably meet with that I'm excited about the treatment program that they're running and anything I can do to help. So love it. Um, yeah. So if there are women out there, because I know you, you, your focus is these these ladies, if they wanted to get a hold of you, they want to reach out to you. Tell me the formats of getting a hold of you. The best way to do that probably is through Facebook because it is um, I'm connected to lots of different groups and stuff. So I get those messages and I, I stay pretty connected to that. Can so. you I know everybody's thinking the Porsche is spelled like the Porsche we see in a car, but yeah. can you spell it so they can research it? Sure. Yeah, it's Porsche Louder, P-O-R-T-I-A-L-O-U-D-E-R. You can look me up on Facebook. There's the Porsche Louder story, my blog, lawsunbroken.com. But pretty much if you look me up, you'll find me. I'm okay. Pretty- well, that's my invitation to these these women out there uh, who are struggling with addiction, who are struggling. I would love for them to reach out to you. And, and I appreciate your story. You're open and honesty. Seriously. I invite you to stay sober, keep staying sober, keep oh, up yeah. the fight, keep chasing the base. And I, and I do thank you so much for your time. And, and I'm, I'm glad you went through it. Hey, thank you so much, Brock. It's such a, it's, it really is an honor to get to know you and just to be involved. So I appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you, ma'am. All right. You take care. You have a great day. Yes, ma'am. You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcasts to get new, fresh, weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.